0: I would love for speech therapy to be high-quality adult speech therapy for adults who stutter to be more available and accessible to all Canadians. Because right now, some provinces, an adult who stutter can get speech therapy through the government and it's paid for, but in some provinces like Ontario, where I am, it's not.
1: Welcome to Some Stutter Law, a podcast by the Communication Collaborative. Some Stutter Law is Newfoundland and Labrador's first podcast about living with communication disorders. We speak directly to people living with speech and language disorders and others such as speech language pathologists, researchers, educators, and family members. We use inclusive language and themes to help rebuild confidence and hope by dismantling myths, stigma, stereotypes and barriers. My name is Greg O'Grady and I am a person who stutters. Some stutter law mission is dismantling and rebuilding communication disorders lest start listening. Some stutter law mandate is in the spirit of Newfoundland Labrador humors, robust and frank interactive discussions, some Study Law podcast aims to rebuild confidence and hope for people who live with communication disorders by dismantling myths, stigma, stereotypes, and barriers. Some Study Law podcast objectives are raising awareness, education, understanding, and acceptance of communication disorders by providing support, current information, research, and resources. Acknowledging that Communication disorders are a quality-of-life issue. Throughout life, stuttering and other communication challenges can impact a person's life emotionally, educationally, physically, socially, and vocationally. Creating a safe space where guests can be themselves without fear of being judged. Today, some stutter law welcomes Casey Demericks. Uh, Casey is a speech-language pathologist and a person who stutters. Casey grew up in rural New Brunswick and went to graduate school in Halifax. He now lives in Toronto with his husband. Casey leads a stuttering support group in downtown Toronto, uh, which is currently on pause due to COVID-19 pandemic. And previously served on the board of directors of the Canadian Stuttering Association. These days, Casey finds himself in a mostly fluent phase of life and looks forward to discussing his current place in the stuttering community. Welcome, Casey, to Stumstutter Law.
0: Thank you very
1: much, Greg. Nice to be here. Uh, Casey, would you would you share in you know, it share with the you know, with our listeners a little bit about uh, you know you you know uh, your story as a person who stutters
0: yeah certainly um so these days like uh like you said in my introduction these days i am relatively fluent um and i i know that's um relatively common for some people who stutter uh to have periods of life that are uh more fluent in periods that are less fluent um the past like year or two is probably the most fluent i've ever been um i've never my stuttering has never been super severe um however i've always um it, maybe not always but but for the rule most of my life i tried to hide it and i was relatively successful <laughs> at doing so even though I I now know, I now believe that it's counterproductive to try to hide stuttering and try not to stutter. And that makes stuttering worse, trying not to stutter. So I noticed that I started to stutter when I was maybe about seven years old. um, And I could tell that I was finding it difficult to talk. But because in those instances where I would, um, where I could tell that what I was about to say wouldn't be able to come out, I just wouldn't say those things, and so nobody else um nobody else heard it. I would ask my mom and you know like I'd say why why can't I talk? I can't get my words out and she didn't know what I meant and she asked my teacher and my teacher said that I didn't have any problem with talking um they did refer me to see a speech language pathologist in the school uh, when I was in grade three. Um, but the speech language pathologist didn't introduce himself to me. I didn't know why I was there. It was just a few months later, this guy came to my classroom and and uh, took me to a, another room to, you know, to do some talking. And I didn't know that he was a speech pathologist. So I didn't tell him that I sometimes would stutter and would sometimes hide hide that from others and that I couldn't feel like I get my words out so he ended up also telling my mother and my teacher nope he doesn't stutter no issues so I've always so when I was like a teenager I I knew that I had some issue like in some situations I just wouldn't be able to talk um But I didn't have the words to describe it because I was always told my whole life that I didn't stutter. Um, My mother said, like eventually when I was a teenager, my mother did hear it sometimes, especially in more disfluent times. But she said, people who stutter, stutter all the time. And so whatever it is that you have, it's not stuttering. Mm -hmm. I now know that that's not true and that there's a lot of people who stutter who don't stutter all the time right almost nobody who stutters stutters on every word or you know in every every sentence um so uh yeah i i remember for example like in my high school job at dairy queen i would work back in the kitchen i've always been a very outgoing social kind of person well that's not true <laughs> i am now and i had those uh I think I had those, like, predispositions in high school, but because I was very shy and because of my my stuttering to avoid at all costs, I, I often was a bit reserved. But I kept being offered the opportunity to work on the front counter and, you know, work as a cashier. But I kept saying no because of my stutter. I didn't have the words for it, so I would just say, like, oh, I would get flustered, is the word that I used. Um, but Eventually, um, eventually my stuttering got a little less severe, and I just kind of hid it more. So I went through my undergraduate degree, which I did in psychology and history at Saint Thomas University in Fredericton. Um, and I didn't really consider myself a person who stutters. I mean, I never had those words anyway. But my stuttering—it felt like it more so like went away. It was I was more fluent. Um I ended up becoming a teacher, so I got my education degree and I was a high school teacher and in that setting of being um like presenting to a room uh it's it's uh that is not a trigger for my stuttering and it it still isn't it never has been which is which is interesting like different people have different triggers for their stuttering and different times when they're fluent that's not one of mine, so I was a teacher and was was successful. Um, I do remember that when I was interviewing, phone interviews were extremely, extremely disfluent, and I would like block, I wouldn't be able to breathe, and I I hadn't really ever met someone who stutters, I didn't think that I stuttered, and I just, um, it was very difficult for me. I would, I would, I would sometimes like drive hours and hours and hours to other provinces when when I was applying to, for work in far places um I would I would lie and pretend you know like people would offer me phone interviews and I would say oh I'm going to happen to be in you know Halifax that day or wherever and I would just drive to avoid phone interviews so even though like I wouldn't I, I felt like stuttering didn't really impact my life much and that I didn't really stutter. I did, I just I just was really good at hiding it and avoiding situations and uh, yeah, and kind of being a, a covert stutterer instead of an overt stutterer. So during that year when I was, uh, after my education degree, I had applied to some teaching jobs. There were very, very few teaching jobs that year that i graduated uh in new brunswick in the in one of the school districts in new brunswick there were two teaching positions that came available and they had 1200 teachers apply for those two jobs that shows you how saturated the market was Mm it wasn't a good time to try to get into teaching so um just kind of looking for any work to make some money i took a job at a call center which, um, for those of for those of our listeners uh, who are people who stutter, you know that phones are <laughs> often very, very mm-hmm. difficult. But mm-hmm. you know, I I hadn't really considered that that might be um, that might be an issue. Um, I get maybe I'm getting my timelines mixed up, and all the phone interviews were after the call center experience. I'm not sure, but anyway, so I took the job at the call center and my stuttering returned with a vengeance. So I only lasted maybe five weeks at the call center because having the scripts I had to say and like arguing with people on the phone, not being able to change my words around and being very upset if I stuttered, it just made my stuttering worse and worse and worse and I quit after like five weeks. But my stuttering didn't go away and it lasted for months in all aspects of my life, I just couldn't communicate. It was the most severe period of, of stuttering that I had had. Looking back, like it 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 was probably like a moderate severity stutter. There's definitely people who who stutter more severely, but it was impacting my life a lot. And so, and so I think it was at that time that I had the the uh the try the interviews I was looking for work, but I was a bit shaken, right? Like suddenly this this stutter that I thought was more of my childhood thing was now back and I didn't know what to do about it. So I refused to do anything over the phone, like phone interviews. Um and that's kind of when I I kind of thought about becoming a speech language pathologist because you know teaching wasn't really working out because there weren't any jobs. Um, I have my undergrad in psychology and I always enjoyed the kind of speech and language aspects of psychology. Um, and suddenly I was face to face with this communication disorder. Uh, and I remember feeling like, you know, I, I know I'm a competent, smart person with two university degrees. I'm a teacher. And just suddenly it's like, the wind was blown out of my sails and I just, I I was shattered. I couldn't communicate. And so I thought that would be a good, something good to do with my life, maybe to, um, to help other people um, who stutter and with communication disorders, and also maybe to help myself while I was at it, kind of learn more about the stuttering thing and try to solve it, or, you know, figure it out. So. Yeah. So I ended up applying for grad school. I went I went and did my masters at Dalhousie in speech language pathology. And um even in my my first year at Dalhousie in my masters, I was too scared to go to the stuttering support group that was in Halifax. And it was um it wasn't directly connected to the program I was in, but the program used a um, a room at my school uh to host their meetings in, and so it you know I knew it was there, I knew there was people who st- who stutter who were meeting and supporting each other there uh you know twice a month in a room in my school, but I refused to go um. I think because I, I was scared to talk to other people who stutter because I had noticed when I was a kid, Um, there, one time when I was visiting my cousin in Vancouver, his friend stuttered. And I noticed that whenever I talked to his friend who stuttered, my stutter would get a lot more severe. So it felt like, you know, it felt like it was almost contagious or it was a, you know, it was a, it, it was a, a trigger for my disfluency and i don't think i was ready to really face my my stuttering yet you know and and i i just kind of wanted to ignore it and push it down and just fix it and that's why i was in grad school to be a speech language pathologist um the year after so it was a 3 year program in years 2 and 3 i did end up going to the stuttering support group And it was so helpful, so life-changing to meet other people who stutter. Um, I think I maybe just went for one meeting or so, and then I ended up going to the National Stuttering Association Conference, the NSA conference in the United States, which is, uh, for those of you who haven't gone, I highly recommend it. It's a week-long, well, four days or so, conference. Annual conference in the U.S. with about a thousand people who stutter and speech-language pathologists, but primarily people who stutter, and just the the community and the environment is just so um, just it's just so it it um, it changes the norm from um, always an expectation of fluency to an expectation of this fluency. Everybody knows to be patient and everybody expects everybody to stutter and it's just so eye-opening. And actually I went to the conference as um, more like as an academic, you know, I was in the field, I was interested in stuttering and I thought that, oh, you know, stuttering isn't that much of an issue for me right now. It was more something that happened when I was a child and, um You know, and personally, it won't really impact my life very much. And I was very wrong. So just um, having that experience of walking in the hotel lobby and being around hundreds of other people who stutter was just really eye-opening and really incredible. And I learned over those few days that I did still stutter. I was still a person who stuttered, and I was hiding it a lot, a lot more than I thought I was. It had just become so automatic um, to switch my words around, to pretend that I didn't have anything to say, to pretend I forgot the punchline to a joke, um, to avoid phone calls, to avoid certain situations. And I hadn't really realized. I stopped realizing that I was doing those things. So then in the years to follow, I was really, really actively engaged in the stuttering community. I went every year back to the National Stuttering Association Conference, the NSA Conference. I got involved in the Canadian Stuttering Association and their annual conferences here in Canada. Uh, I was on the board of directors of the Canadian Stuttering Association. Uh, I helped to put together the annual conference, and I was the, the MC of the conferences uh, for four or five years. Um I started a stuttering support group in downtown Toronto here. Um so I was really, really actively engaged and, and I was just so excited to to um have the stuttering community and being this open about my stutter really helped me to become more fluent. And I was a much better communicator. I definitely did still stutter. I probably stuttered overtly more than I had before. But I wasn't scared anymore. You know, I I was no longer telling myself that being fluent was more important than anything I had to say. And that was very helpful for for how I saw myself and for how I lived my life. Um, And then we kind of get to the present, where over the past couple of years, I think in 2019, I started the Stuttering Support Group. For, uh, in, in Toronto and to kind of focus on that and because, because I'd been on the board of directors for five years I stepped mm-hmm. down from the board to give a chance for other people to kind of take those responsibilities and have those opportunities but then COVID hit and so I we put our support group on pause in Toronto there was an opportunity to do it online but I wasn't really interested in that. I don't I, which is funny because I'm doing this interview online but I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not I don't know. I don't I don't like leading online support groups. I just not something that I was interested in. I think they're great and other people uh, are interested in them, which is wonderful and uh, are able to lead them. But so I've kind of stepped away from my involvement in the stuttering community for a variety of reasons, but also due to the pandemic and I found myself in a lot more of a fluent place. So now, um, yeah, I don't really know where I fit in the stuttering community. So Greg, when, you, no. um, uh, when, when, when Greg contacted me to ask if I wanted to do the podcast, uh, I originally said no for a, a variety of reasons. First of all, I am a little busy right now because I just started a new job a couple of months ago at a hospital. So that was, that was my reason but maybe that was a bit of an excuse. So I think one of the one of my reasons why was because I felt like I, I don't really belong anymore in the stuttering community or at least I was kind of scared of that. I you know I was thinking what what would I have to say? Um, you know I I've done interviews on podcasts before and I've I've said Things before I'm like do I have anything new or interesting to add and you know would would people looking for for what I have to say about stuttering are they expecting that the Casey from 2016 2017 who was you know super engaged and involved in the stuttering community I was I was stuttering overtly I was kind of raw raw stuttering and now I'm in a point where stuttering isn't having a direct impact on my life as much anymore, and I've kind of stepped back from my involvement in the stuttering community, and uh, I'm at kind of an interesting odd place with how I feel about myself as a person who stutters. I don't really know how to view it all anymore, and uh, I was talking with some of my friends in the stuttering community. Um, I've made Lifelong friends, and especially through the through my work with the Canadian Stuttering Association and the, and the NSA in the United States, mm-hmm. um, and they they you know they said, well,
1: this is a this is a
0: really good topic that maybe doesn't get talked about a lot in the stuttering community on these podcasts that people do go through fluctuations of fluency throughout their life, and there are people who kind of are really excited and involved and engaged in the stuttering community at one point in their life, but then kind of step back and and uh, have a period of fluency and kind of wonder where they fit in anymore. I know that was a long answer, like a 25-minute answer, but uh,
1: a lot of things I had to get oh, out. Of, I guess, but yeah. So, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Great. Thing. well, well, Casey. I, you know, like I, I, you know, I'm so pleased that you re, you know reconsider. Sitting doing uh, do, doing this podcast, I'm really pleased, you know. Yeah. So so yeah. Casey, uh, yeah. so so you know, it's interesting, uh, have, have, you know, having a person like you who stutters, as well as uh, as a, a person who stutters also a speech language pathologist. So so Casey, like, uh, in you know, like if if you put on your speech SLP hat. Is, is, is success for a person who stutters uh, like o- o- over, overcoming stuttering or living with stuttering? You know, what, what would you classify that as success, success?
0: Yeah, and also I think a, a good question to counter your question is what does it mean to overcome your stutter, right? So um, I think I think all of those words, living with your stutter, overcoming your stutter managing your stutter i think i see those as kind of all the same the same thing i know some people use the term like i've overcome my stutter meaning that they don't stutter anymore i think that that rarely actually happens or at least maybe it's misunderstood you know if i wasn't so firmly in the stuttering community And a speech-language pathologist. If I was just, uh, you know, a person who hadn't really looked into it at this point in my life, I might also be someone who might say to a young, you know, to a kid who stutters, like, "Oh, if you try hard enough, you'll also overcome it." I used to stutter, and now I don't anymore. Whereas I know that that's not the case. Sometimes I still do kind of get that sticky feeling in my voice. the other day actually i did i did stutter a bit um and it you know people noticed i I do still stutter i think i think as a speech language pathologist, I think
1: um the goal should be um, to learn to 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 live with your
0: stutter to learn how to communicate more um Communicate easier, communicate more effectively, and learn how to stutter with less struggle and less tension and less effort, and learn to desensitize yourself to your stutter, so that you're you don't have that emotional reaction to your stutter, and you don't tense up, and you're not scared to stutter. And I think that that kind of you know that i think is how you should uh, approach it um i don't want to say should because people can do whatever they want with their stutter right this, this is just my opinion mm-hmm. um but i think that when people do that they also find that it is fluency inducing it, it does also reduce the amount of stuttering you actually do have because a lot of stuttering happens when you try not to stutter and so being okay with stuttering more, paradoxically, often makes you stutter less. And I think a lot of speech-language pathologists don't see it that way. I think a lot of it is because stuttering is very complicated, complex. It's hard to assess. It's hard to treat. It's hard to manage. And um, as speech-language pathologists, we don't get a lot of training in stuttering, it's a very small part of the broader field. And so a lot of speech language pathologists leave graduate school really uncomfortable treating people who stutter. So some SLPs try their best, um, which is good, but mistakes are made, you know, sometimes um, focusing only on fluency shaping right speaking in a way that induces some fluency but sacrifices naturalness and it's not really functional for everyday conversation in my opinion that's really easy to teach someone and it gets really quick results so that's what a lot of speech pathologists kind of um who don't who don't have any other ideas or you know it's not really an area that they are um they have a lot of interest in or education in that's sometimes what they default to because it's a lot easier just to focus on the fluency itself and to teach someone to kind of speak a bit like a robot and it kind of fixes that but you're just kind of putting a band-aid a very temporary band-aid usually
1: Mm. yeah you know i'm wondering wondering casey like with you know with you know with this emphasis on uh, fluency. I mean, like, w- w- would you consider then, you know, the 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 F word, the fluency, is a bad word? Is fluency? A bad, I mean, like, uh, you know, what what would measure of success is it? You know, uh, uh, you know, uh, as you mentioned earlier, that it isn't necessarily the fluency. It's just how you accept or you're more relaxed with your stuttering. It's it's a big shift in per in a paradigm, like.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah. I I think that um I think success shouldn't be measured in, you know, how often you stutter or um the severity that you stutter in or the types of stutter that you have. I think it should be measured in your ability to participate in your life. Right. So um for example, I, I knew someone years ago who stuttered. Um, she was, she stuttered very covertly. So that means that, you know, most people wouldn't be able to tell that she stuttered. Um, but it impacted her life significantly. Um, she would often call into work sick if she knew that she had, you know, a hard phone call that day or, you know, she would, and she would... It it like impacted and determined almost every aspect of her life. Whereas, you know, and and by most conventional measures, even from speech language pathologists, her severity would have been quite mild. Whereas I also have known people who stutter very overtly. It's very obvious that they're a person who stutters. It takes them extra time but they say whatever they want, they do whatever they want, they don't let it impact their life. Um, And so by fluency measures, they would have a very severe fluency disorder. But I would say that their impact on their life was very minimal. So, you know, I would say that that would more so be the goal. I mean, those two examples are kind of at the extremes. And oftentimes, one of the ways to have stuttering have less of an impact on someone's life is to uh, you know through whatever method to reduce the uh the the severity the frequency you know how how much they're struggling etc and that is one aspect of it but i think there's a whole lot of other aspects um i when you say like fluency being kind of the bad word i think I think in in some ways sure I think that you know I don't think fluency innately is a is a is a bad word but I think that if that's your um if that's the the what you're caught up with and if that's the only thing that is mattering to you that you think that all of your your whole personhood is based in how how often you stutter I think that that should be part of the speech therapy is really to to change that um that that reminds me of something i i often will say to my to my clients who stutter you know especially especially uh like teenagers or young adults will often attribute um almost any barrier in their life to stuttering so if you ask them they will often say you know if only I didn't stutter, I'd be able to go and ask any girl out on a date, I'd be able to go to any job interview, I'd be able to get the career I want, have the perfect life, if only I didn't stutter. And um, and just, I like having a conversation with them about, you know, looking at other people who don't stutter, and, you know, asking, so, do any of these people do any of these people who don't stutter do they some do they um do they find it just completely easy to walk up to someone and ask them out on a date or you know do they uh is there something stopping them from getting their perfect job or having their perfect life um so a- as as people who stutter stuttering is one aspect of us but we sometimes make it define us, and it it doesn't have
1: to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Casey, um, as a, 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 as a speech language pathologist, do you, do you find that there's a, a paradigm a paradigm shift in terms of uh well uh, well I think you may have answered the question, but there there seems to be. A, a shift towards from the clinical emphasis on the clinical, the speech language I and mean, the speech targets, the, the programs, to, you know, to, to addressing the emotional side of stuttering, which has been so uh, long negated. What What's your thinking about that? Is that changing the shift? Yeah, I think it is.
0: Um, I think that it, it's also a bit cyclical. Um that is kind of where we've been heading as a field in the last 10-15 years um away from just the pure um you know meet these speech targets and that will that's what we're going to work on into more of a holistic approach looking at like you said the emotions but also looking at the at the non speech aspects of the communication so Things like situational avoidance, things like your reaction to your stuttering, how you see yourself as a communicator, um, and you know your your body language, your eye contact, um, yeah, th- I, and and about moving away from um, speaking. Uh, Moving away from like the actual speech therapy, moving from always just speaking more fluently to stuttering more fluently. So learning a an, an easier way to stutter, learning that uh, if you're going to stutter anyway, you might as well stutter on your terms, with you in control, with less struggle, with less effort, with less tension. Um, and, but I think it's a bit cyclical because back in like the 1960s, this stuttering modification, which is what we call it, like changing the way that you stutter and seeing your stutter differently and focusing more on the emotional side, that was, that was kind of in vogue in the profession in the, in the 1960s as well. Um, and then, you know, as many professions and industries and schools of thought, things kind of you know new ideas come up, new new hot topics in research um, and students get trained differently, and people think about it differently and talk about it differently and it it moved to more of a of a fluency based and now it's kind of you know the pendulum is swinging back in the other direction so i I think. That you know hopefully we will get to uh like a middle ground where speech language pathologists sure are comfortable and able to do the fluency modification the, the fluency shaping therapy, so that is the uh the speech targets to elicit fluency, so like um easy onset and gentle start and smooth blending and light touches and every program does similar things with different names. Um, So those things do have a place, but in a, in a broader context of therapy that I think that more and more speech pathologists are um, becoming more comfortable with, are being trained in are being made aware of. I think a lot of it is because of more of the stuttering community standing up and having support organizations, um, and you know, telling the speech pathology community, you know, hey, you're you are some of the things you're doing are harmful to us, and there's other ways that you could be helping us a lot more. And I think that as a profession, we are trying to um, to do that more, I think that a lot more work still has to be done. Of course, we still have a long ways to go, and a lot of speech language pathologists who work with people who stutter mostly only work with children and have comfort working with children because very few adults who stutter see speech language pathologists for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, either oftentimes it they feel maybe shame they feel like they don't want to try to address and work on this this thing that they've been trying to fight against their whole life that you know it's a very emotional complex relationship that adults have with their stutter adults often have found ways to navigate life with their stutter and it might not be the healthiest of of uh, coping strategies sometimes it makes communication counterproductive like I was doing, like pretending I didn't have anything to say or changing my words around or driving for hours and hours instead of making phone calls. Um, Those are some strategies that adults use sometimes, uh, but they are counterproductive. Um, But so and also because of government funding, oftentimes kids can get speech therapy and it's covered through the schools, through like. Preschool clinics, things like that, but oftentimes adults who stutter, you know, they might have with their workplace insurance, they might have a few hundred dollars of of insurance to cover maybe two or three sessions a year with a speech pathologist, which won't really do much most of the time, um, or like paying out of pocket. So all of this basically to say, we have a lot more work to do, and a lot of speech language pathologists have no experience working with adults who stutter. Um, so we have a long way to go,
1: yeah. You know, Casey, recent research indicates the greatest predictor of psych, uh, psychological distress in adults who stutter is, is, is the degree to which they can steal their stuttering not the severity of the stuttering is its concealment this is masking now how how you know how would you as a, a speech language patho- a, a, a pathologist address this to an adult who stutters who spent so much of their life trying to conceal it and now trying to work to sort of face these secret scaries within you know and I mean this is, you know this is a the huge uh, area to for SLP to deal with
0: yeah for sure um and I'm I'm not familiar with with that particular research. Can you clarify are, is the research finding that like that um adults who conceal better are have better psychological um management Oh no the,
1: no no the it's other way around. More, you know, more the other way around. Because I mean they they're trying to pass as fluent. Yes. As fluent. Yeah. And there's so much psychological distress and unfortunately, it, it, as you, you mentioned earlier as well, it, it really works against one's, you know, the quality of life, developing sense of identity, individuality. So how would you address something like that when there's such a history there of concealment?
0: Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so I, I think I would I would meet my I would meet the person where they are. So you know if they if they are sitting in front of me as my client there's a reason why they're there right so they're open to something that's actually another reason why i why speech therapy with adults is different than kids because sometimes kids in school are kind of forced by the system by their teacher by their parents to have therapy even if they don't want it but if an adult is sitting in front of you uh, they want to make, they want to change something about their stutter. They're looking for something, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't just go up to someone on the street who's, who is hiding their stuttering and try to convince them that oh, research shows you know you're having a more <laughs> difficult time psychologically because of this, right? So, I think I think starting with someone's goals, right? So, you know, let's say at, at an extreme example. If someone, if my client said, "Hey, you know, I, I stutter, and I'm I'm really good at hiding it most of the time, but I want you to help me try to hide it the rest of the time," right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, and and that is a lot of where where clients are coming from. You know, most most people they they think that their goal is to stutter less and just hey, help me get rid of my stutter, and so I you know the first few sessions are just a lot about having the person explore and figure out you know how they're reacting to their stutter and why they want to stutter less you know is it um is it to be able to say the things they want to say and if so then do they want to try to Try to hide it and avoid words and, and all of that. Um, I would, I would, I would talk to them about, like, I, I would, def, I would introduce the, the idea that trying to stutter less and trying to hide the stuttering and mask the stuttering is counterproductive. You have to be very careful, though, about, about doing that because otherwise you scare people away. And, Actually, that happened to me when I was, before I started grad school, remember when I was in that period, that really uh, disfluent time, I did seek out a speech-language pathologist, my first one ever, and she introduced to me in that session, um, just kind of as, a, as a, a little thought for maybe the future, a few sessions down the road, she brought up Stuttering on purpose, deliberate stuttering. And at the time, I was just appalled. You know, why would I want to stutter on purpose? This is, some, this is something I want to get rid of. This is something that I want to, uh, you know, I've been fighting against my whole life. I was scared if I stutter on purpose, it would make me stutter more. And she even said that, yeah, it might make you stutter more. And looking back, I know what she was trying to do and um and I very much agree with her now you know being able to work being getting to a place where you're able to stutter on purpose stutter on under your own terms, kind of stutter and look around and notice you know hey the world isn't crashing down around me this isn't this isn't you know the worst case scenario if I do stutter, so maybe I don't have to try so hard not to and maybe it doesn't have to impact my life as much as as it is but at the time i think bringing bringing that up that extreme you know of a of a point i don't think that's where i was in that first session and that really scared me and i i don't i don't think i went back i don't remember quite what happened but i remember being you know kind of oh she doesn't really know what she's doing kind of in that first session so I would meet the person where they are and eventually get to the point where it's like, okay, like, look at, you know, look at what you're doing, um, you know, hiding your stuttering, masking your stuttering and everything that's costing you. Is that worth it? Kind of the cost benefit analysis, right? Is that worth it? You know? Is the, is the only reason why you're going through all of this effort, all of this mental energy, everything it's costing you, you're sacrificing what you want to say in your voice, just so that people won't see you, you know, saying the same syllable a few times. You know, if, if, you learned, if you learned how to stutter in a different way, or you know, we can get you to a place where you are stuttering easier, um, having it more under your control. Kind of, you know, coming coming to those, putting those seeds of thought in in someone's head over a few sessions, I think, is how I would how I would manage that.
1: Yeah, Casey, in, in your bio, you know, you you know you you know you, you, know, you, you, know, you, mentioned, you know, mentioned that you you live you know, live in Toronto with your husband. Now, being you know, being a gay person who stutters. You know, has that affected? I mean, how you know? How did you? I guess incorporate both, and being you know, being a gay person who stutters and yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Good question. So, um, I'm I'm I've also been involved with a an organization or an association of people mm-hmm. of of um queer people, gay people, lesbians transgender people who stutter um the the it, it's called passing twice um and i've done a whole a whole podcast on just that kind of the intersectionality between my identity as a person who stutters and my identity as a gay man and there's a lot of of similarities in some ways there's a lot of things that each community can learn from each other uh, the reason why the group is called Passing Twice is because both being a person who stutters and being gay are kind of invisible differences uh, that a lot of people might have stigma about, that might have a lot of emotional baggage about, that's big parts of their identity. But if they were walking down the street, and you didn't you know the person wasn't talking uh nobody would really know you know if someone if i was walking down the street i could hide the fact that i was was gay if i wanted to and i could hide the fact that i am a person who stutters if i wanted to i could just choose not to talk so if i if i choose to i could pass as fluent and i could pass as straight so hence passing twice i don't know how i feel about that name passing twice it was the organization was made, like, a few decades ago, and uh, I, I wonder if, you know, if people were thinking of a name now, like, I like what they're getting at, you know, talk thinking about, about um, like, a lot of people try to hide the fact that they're gay and hide the fact that they stutter, but I think it's beneficial to try to, as a community and as a world, to try to encourage people as much as possible to live their authentic life because it is just as we were talking about it it's damaging psychologically and emotionally to try to hide your stutter it's also damaging psychologically and emotionally to try to hide your your sexual orientation or your gender identity who you are to try to fit into normal mainstream society and I use normal in quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, And another thing that we kind of have to do as people who stutter, um, especially if your stutter is more covert, and if you tend to kind of hide it, and if it's kind of mild, we have to come out. And we kind of have, as a stuttering community over the past few years, we've kind of borrowed that term from the the queer community and the LGBTQ community coming out and what what does coming out mean so you know if if I'm at a new workplace let's say or with a new group of friends they don't know that I stutter and that pressure is there that ooh, you know if I'm talking to them the first time I stutter they're gonna are they gonna judge me are they gonna be worried that I'm having a stroke are they um you know, what are they gonna think of me? Are they gonna laugh? Are they gonna be nervous? Should I tell them now that I am a person who, who stutters to to um, to try to try to prevent that awkward situation and to to take the pressure off of me and so which would also lead to me being more fluent, maybe. Um, so coming out. And it's also interesting that you know, people talk about in, in the LGBTQ community. You talk about coming out, your coming out story, when did you come out as a one-time event, but it's not. It's not. Your whole life, whenever you meet new people or start a new job or you know, move to a new place, everyone assumes you're straight unless you say otherwise, unless you live your life otherwise. Um, a coworker at my new job, I just started a new job at a hospital uh, two months ago, mm-hmm. and a coworker asked uh, about my wife and so i had to come out all over her to her again you know and it's just kind of awkward sometimes right so i i said i kind of bungled my answer a little bit i'm like actually or no she said she said oh tell me about your girlfriend and i was like actually i'm married to a man <laughs> like there was a better way i could have said that i'm sure but um <laughs> but in in the same way you kind of have to come out to everyone new as a person who stutters or you know live your life in a way where you're just okay with being a person who stutters, even if the person knows or not. And that's also where the stuttering on purpose might come into play a little bit. But yeah, so so being a person who stutters and being gay, it's a really interesting identity um, intersectionality. I've also been asked before, working in my field, um, I work mostly with, as a speech-language pathologist, I don't usually work with people who stutter. I do occasionally, but my main job is working with older adults um, who've had a stroke or who have Parkinson's or who have dementia. So I primarily work with people like in their 80s and 90s. And um, I often get asked, you know, which, uh, which is more comfortable for them to find out, that you stutter or that you're gay? Yeah. Um mm-hmm. And, uh, and and yeah, it's interesting because so a, as part of my journey with my stuttering, I try to be very open to my clients about the fact that I stutter. When my stuttering is more severe, I would tell all my clients when I call them to schedule their visit, I would say something like, oh, and I just wanted to let you know I'm a person who stutters. So my speech might be a bit choppy sometimes. It just makes me feel more comfortable to let you know. I would say something like that so i'd be more open about stuttering but then you know if you're sitting i used to go to people's homes to work with them in their homes so if you're sitting there you know in the in a living room with a new client you know and they're both in their 80s and and they ask you know like oh are you married or you know they ask about your personal life um it's not always that comfortable to be very open and and proud about being gay cuz I don't know how they're going to react. I don't know what their opinions are on that. I don't know how it might then impact our future professional dynamic, you know, if they'd be uncomfortable having me in their home. I don't know. So I found that I was, I tried not to like hide it, hide it, but I, I found it a lot easier to be open about being a person who stutters at work with, with clients like that. But it's funny because in my personal life, most of my social life, are with other queer people other gay people in the queer community i was part of a gay dodgeball league so a lot of my friends are gay but i in my personal life sometimes i find it hard to be open about the fact that i stutter and i find myself kind of slipping back into trying to hide my stutter and just you know Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and, and it's even it's even more complicated right now because i You know, for all intents and purposes, I don't really stutter at this point in my life. I am still a person who stutters. I do sometimes. I will again, I'm sure. But, you know, it really just doesn't come up. So I have friends who probably don't know that I stutter, but they all know that I'm gay. Mm
1: -hmm. So,
0: yeah, it is quite an interesting uh, dynamic between the two. That was a
1: good question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I know, like, I'm also wondering, uh, Casey, if, if... if if a if if an LGBTQ plus individual that stutters decides to go to a speech therapist to 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 seek treatment, when do you think it's you know is is it a fine line? When do you tell a speech therapist that I'm also LGBT plus, or do you deal with the uh, the actual stutter first? When is has to be open and honest about everything. Is it wise to put everything on the table, at first meeting? Well, what's, what's your sense?
0: I think there's probably different opinions about this, but my opinion is that I would want to go to any, you know, any healthcare provider that I was going to, or any any service of any sort that I was going to, I would want them to know that I was gay right from the first. Because if they have an issue with that, if they have a problem with that, then I should just go find another, you know, another speech therapist or another, you know, lawyer or accountant or house cleaner or dentist or whoever, you know, most of the time, like, you know, I don't walk into my dentist's office like, I'm gay. How do you feel about that? You know, I don't really feel it's (laughs) necessary. But, but like, you know, if, if you're, if you're going to be talking, if you're going to be getting into speech therapy, about about uh, stuttering with someone, you're going to be having some pretty deep, emotional, vulnerable conversations. And your personal life and your personal relationships with people are going to come up. And so needing to be kind of thinking that in the back of your mind, like not mentioning the types of people that you go on dates with or who you're in a relationship with, Um, You don't need to be thinking about that. So I would just, sure, I would just ask or bring it up in the first visit, personally. And uh, yeah, if, you know, if they seem kind of uneasy about that, or if, if, you know, if you feel kind of uneasy about how they respond to that, then I would just find someone else. That, that's kind of, that's my opinion. I know that, I know that living in Toronto, though, that's, you know, I might have the luxury of saying that because you know, there's, there's hundreds of speech therapists and hundreds of service providers where if you're in like a more rural or remote community, there might only be a couple who you have to choose from. So I might have a different answer in that case. It would all depend. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, going through speech therapy for stuttering, you have to, you know, you have to have a bit of that. There's a bit of a relationship, a trust relationship. And actually, the research shows that one of the very biggest factors of whether speech therapy will be effective and shall reach your goals is the relationship between the therapist and the client. So it, the, the research shows it doesn't matter as much exactly what the therapist does and, you know, ex- what specific methods the therapist uses. It matters more, um, you know, how comfortable and how vulnerable the client feels like they can get, how much they trust each other, how, um, you know, how how that relationship is is built. If they're willing to, um, you know, to to um, to go out on a limb and try things that are uncomfortable, like stuttering on purpose, for example, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think in that relationship, you probably should. You probably should put your cards on the table pretty early. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. When you know, when a uh, per, per person who stutters, or you know, goes for the initial assessment with a speech language pathologist, person who stutters is very vulnerable. So how you know, like, uh, and 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 I'm assuming that many people who stutter, you know, you you know, aren't aware that you know that you know uh, that they have a right to interview the the speech language pathologist just to find this fit. What you know what advice would you give a person who stutters to to uh, to feel confident enough to say, you know, this you know, to ask these questions. Because I mean you're right, because if they're entering a, a client therapist relationship and there has to be a definite fit. And if somebody speech a person who stutters feels that they're not comfortable asking these Fourth-rate questions. What advice would you give?
0: Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good question. I don't know that there's like one right answer to that. It's a really good discussion, though. You, I could have forever about that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think I think the first thing that I would say is uh, is yeah when when someone is looking when a person who stutters is looking to find uh, a speech language pathologist, just know that. Different speech, that speech language pathology is extremely, extremely broad. And, you know, so not all speech pathologists are created equal in, you know, when it comes to each topic. So just because you find a speech language pathologist who's willing to to see you and, hey, they fit with my schedule and great, I'm going to go see them. And this is what speech therapy will be like for people who stutter um they might have very very little experience with working with people who stutter or they might be you know they might have devoted their life to helping people who stutter and be an amazing speech language pathologist but maybe they don't have any experience working with some other population right so especially for people who stutter i think it's really important to do your research to find a speech-language pathologist who is is comfortable and competent in the type of speech therapy that you would want. Um, and that is quite difficult to, you know, it, it's difficult to, to know what you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Before, you know, before you start down that road. I think that that one of the ways that you could start, is by contacting, um, by contacting like a, a stuttering support association, to ask if they have any recommendations for speech-language pathologists in in your area, because I mean, stuttering is a is a small community, right? So people who stutter and the associations and speech-language pathologists who work with people who stutter, we all kind of know each other, you know, a little bit. So, um, you know, if, if somebody contacted me looking for, you know, who's a good speech pathologist that I could see in like Vancouver, I have a few like off the top of my head, you know, that I might put them in contact with. I don't know if it would be a good fit necessarily or that, you know, the type of service delivery or their schedules or whatever would work, but then maybe they could refer you on to other people that they know, that they, that they know are, are good with people who stutter. So that would be the first yeah. step. I think I would do some research online on some reputable websites about the types of speech therapy that are out there. Um, for example, do some research through the the Canadian Stuttering Association or the, the Stuttering Foundation or the National Stuttering Association. Or um, there, there's many, you know, you, you know, start your journeys there or wherever, or the, I think, yeah, the, uh, the Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, is it, a, is it, a an association like a, do you have, or is it, is it a support group? Yeah. What, what's going on yeah. in Newfoundland?
1: <laughs> well, we, you know, we have the, you know, we have the Newfoundland Labrador Southern Association. Uh-huh. And, uh, so, so, so our main area is that uh, we also offer a monthly support group as well. Very good. And, uh, so so that that happens monthly. Uh, you know, however, you know, much like yourself, we you know we have been doing it virtually at yes. the moment. Yeah. So uh, so we you know so we're classified in, as an association. We're still small, Casey. We're you know we're still growing because we're only a, a little over three years old now. So so yeah. So we're you know it it's, it is a journey. It's a journey. Yeah. You know? And for sure. uh, so what, and. And, and and this is the, uh, one of the reasons why we have this podcast as well because we're we're we're, we're really trying to put stuttering under the lens of people who stutter. I mean, uh, the province within Newfoundland, Labrador, Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Newfoundland, Labrador. So, so uh, this is a journey.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's a journey for all of us. Even you know, with the Canadian Stuttering Association um, that I was a part of, they've been around for 30 years now. But it, it's still, you know, it's completely volunteer run. There's no paid positions at all. Uh, mm-hmm. It's still very small. It's, you know, they're they're trying, we they are trying to branch out and become more Canada wide, which is their mandate. Mm-hmm. But you know, just because of how, you know, just because of factors that you'd imagine, there's like pockets over the country, a lot mm-hmm. in Toronto, for example, where. Um, You know, most of the uh, most of the people involved are within these little pockets and there's areas of the country that, you know, that uh, that aren't well served that still need a lot of growth Mm -hmm. into them. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, So so I, I would say, like, using those resources, you know, using associations in your area, doing some research, you know, asking around to find a speech language pathologist that that clicks with you you know, that that seems to that you seem to have a good rapport with and who knows what they're doing when it comes to to Mm -hmm. stuttering. So even like asking the speech language pathologist, you know, what um, you know, do you often work with people who stutter? Um, what types of therapies are you, you know, what what's your philosophy when it comes to working with people who stutter? And if they can't really tell you that, you know, if they haven't really given it much thought or if uh, you know, maybe that's not the best, um, the best fit. Who knows?
1: Yeah, and certainly uh, like there would be a red flag for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, Casey, because you know, uh, you know, uh, based on you know some of the podcasts we've had with some some speech language pathologists, I still find it surprising when you know uh, 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 when SLPs can are, are not uh, permitted to say that. Yes, I specialize in stuttering. Yeah, so, you no, know. We,
0: we can't do that. <laughs> yeah, we can't specialize no, no, no. because um yeah, it, it it's one of the so we're we're regulated. We're regulated by the government, by our a regulatory college to help protect the public, right? So you know, so Joe Schmo down the street can't just call himself a speech language pathologist in order to call yourself a speech language pathologist legally. You need to be a member of the regulatory college, and there are certain rules that the regulatory college make you follow to help protect the public, which makes sense. And so, for example, in the United States, they do have specialists, official specialists in certain areas, for example, in stuttering and other fluency disorders, Um, and you have to meet certain standards. You have to have certain additional training. You have to have a certain number of hours working with with patients who stutter, clients who stutter. Um, you have to, you know, um, you have to show that you know what you're doing with people who stutter. Mm-hmm. In Canada, we don't have those, uh, those like specialties. They are working on them though. It's kind of in the works. Um, and actually, maybe they are starting to be in place just the past year or so I'm not sure, but I'm kind of noticing kind of um, communications about those things kind of starting up i'm I don't know anything more beyond that, but other people probably would know that, but yeah, because of that, you know they don't want people saying that they specialize in stuttering when that's just their opinion right so they so we're not allowed to to say that so kind of a way around it that people. You know, people will say that they have a special interest in stuttering, for example. Um, you know, that's kind of what some people will say. But take that with mm-hmm. a grain of salt. You know, just because someone says that they, if someone does tell you that they specialize in a certain area, it's like, well, you know, that. I mean, it's just whatever criteria they want to to impose upon themselves for that. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, uh, uh, Casey, you know, uh, not too hold you up more but you know just you know just just, just one last question where do you you envision speech therapy going down the road I mean uh, in terms of in terms of what the the approach you know Mm what you know uh, things are changing so much but uh, you you know where do you hope or foresee speech therapy going yeah
0: um hope and what i hope and what i foresee are probably different <laughs> to be honest so i would i would hope and i would love for graduate students in in master's programs becoming speech language pathologists to have a lot more training in working with people who stutter um to have it mandatory that they speak with people who stutter in a non like about their experiences like non-clinically um so i'd like a lot more training and education and more support for speech language pathologists to learn um i would hope that more speech language pathologists practice where the current evidence and research is kind of is going and showing us that um that just focusing on fluency itself in isolation is um, is not very effective. It's easier, but it's not very effective, and it can be damaging, right? If you if you just focus on fluency and being fluent is the is the one and only goal or the primary goal of your therapy. First of all, you're just you're reinforcing what the person has already been telling themselves their whole life. Being fluent is the only thing that matters. That to be fluent at all costs, and um, and I think that to be effective communicators and what people are looking for are you know challenging those assumptions that fluency is extremely important and is the you know stuttering stuttering uh, less at any cost, even sacrificing naturalness is uh, is the only way that it can be managed. I think that, that that's can be damaging. So I would hope that, you know, people have a, that speech pathologists will have a more balanced approach. I do see it going more in that direction, probably not as fast as I would hope. And I would love for speech therapy to be high quality adult speech therapy for adults who stutter to be more available and accessible to all Canadians. Because right now, some provinces, an adult who stutter, can get speech therapy through the government, and it's paid for. But in some provinces, like Ontario, where I am, it's not. So there's a bit of like a patchwork funding, funding for speech therapy through the government in Ontario, where if you're a, if you're a child, your speech therapy is covered if you're an adult you can often get speech therapy for you know specific things for example if you you know if you get in a car accident and have a brain injury or if you've had a stroke and you have aphasia or you know if you're looking for um if you have like developmental um, delays and intellectual disorders from childhood and you need speech therapy still as an adult that's often covered but, but for stuttering and other adults with others, you know, in other situations fall through the cracks. Um, and I think that that limit to access is also something that really, as a profession and as people who stutter, we should advocate for, for more access, better quality speech therapy. And also, it would be nice, like the, the work that that support organizations are doing, that the, the stuttering community is doing as well as I think um, doing such great work and really improving the lives of people who stutter, like this podcast today. And it would be nice if there was some government funding for that as well. Because mm, almost definitely. all of the, basically all of this, any of you know, anything in all of these organizations is all just volunteers and people just you know, wanting to give back to the community, wanting to make a difference and help people. And it's just incredible what what we've been able to do, but we could just do so much more, you know, if uh, if we were able to, you know. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, uh, Casey, thanks again for you know uh, you know uh, c- 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 coming on this uh, this podcast, and uh, you know we you know we you know we you know we all learn. From you know listening, to, you know uh, listening to others' lived uh, lived experience, we really yeah. do. So, yeah. thanks again. Thank and you very much, to... Greg. Very good. Okay. All right. Take, take care. care. Some
0: stutterla is hosted by Greg O'Grady. It is produced, recorded, and edited by Paul Decker, as well as Luca Dini, who, by the way wrote this jazzy theme music. Leah Bugden and Alicia Megason command our pages on Instagram and TikTok. You can listen to or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and Spotify. Video versions of each episode are found on our YouTube page. Some Stutter Luck is a production of the Communication Collaborative.